Welcome to this special episode of The Strange Catholic Show. This is part one of a two-part interview we have with Jeff Cavins. And really, really amazing content. You know I, you know what? I still don't believe Jeff Cavins is going to come on today. You guys told me, <laughs> Terry emailed me, it's like some phony email from Jeff Cavins that we're actually going to get him. <laughs> I'll believe it when I see it on the screen. I still don't believe it. We're not that big time. Bob, it's happening. Well, we'll see. And it'll be coming up right next if if he's really here. But stay tuned. For opening prayer, we'll turn it over to Bob. Oh, thank you, Phil. I guess I did uh, sort of uh, take the mantle for that. So thank you, everyone across the podcast world. Thanks to Mr. Cavins for being with us. So let's open in prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Gracious and glorious God, thank you for this wonderful opportunity, this opportunity to be here with Mr. Cavins and my brothers to just be here in your presence and talk about you, God. And, and as we go here in the next hour, 40 minutes, whatever, however long we're here, just, just please flow through us and, and be present with us as, as we talk about things in the Catholic faith and, and you, God. We ask this through your son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the amen. Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Back to Phil. Oh, this is our special two-part episode that we hinted to in our previous episodes with Jeff Cavins. Jeff Cavins is married. He has three girls and three grandchildren. He is the creator of the Great Adventure series. We have a link in the description for that. He's also creator and host of the Jeff Cavins Show, and you can find that on all major podcast players. Again, links are in the description. He also has this great daily gospel reflection that he provides that is paired with the daily gospel reading done by Jonathan Rumi from The Chosen. And he's a pilgrimage leader with his wife, Emily, of 32 plus years, if I did the math right on that. And he's actually planning his 59th trip to the Holy Land coming up here. We have links to their both the pilgrim pilgrimage page as well as the YouTube video where Jeff gives an introduction as to why you might want to choose Cavins Tours. We're so excited to have Jeff Cavins. This conversation is dynamic. So let's get in to that introduction. So one thing that we want that we put in that email to you was, you know, one thing was just talk about, you know, your response to the Holy Spirit in creating so many prolific opportunities for us to dive into scripture, to dive into that relationship with Christ. And so behind me, I have the Great Adventure series, the CDs from back in the day. Yeah. (laughs) When I first came into the church a little over a dozen years ago, that's I poured through those on my commute from uh, Becker to the Twin Cities every day. And it was absolutely life changing to hear you break that open, you and the other people that are on that series to just break that open and dive into the word a little bit more. It was absolutely life changing. That's Already, beca- you know, coming into the church was life changing, but just the impact that that had. And then I think that just fuels into the Bible in a year, your work with Father Mike Schmitz and just and, and with the Jeff Caven show as well. I mean, just the way that you've really listened to and been open to how the spirit's moving and put out this amazing these amazing publications. Oh, I appreciate it. That's uh, 
you know, there was a guy down in New Orleans, true story, a trucker, and a, and a, a big tattooed, long-haired, rough trucker. And he was Catholic, and he listened to the Great Adventure, the CDs for the 24-week one that I do, 24 hours through the Bible. He listened to it a hundred times, the entire thing. And wow. after that, he, he, he went and he drove his truck right into New Orleans, and he found the archbishop and uh, looked at him and said, I think God's called me to become a priest. And Bishop kind of looked at Wow, really? You know, <laughs> and, uh, the long and short is he was ordained about five years ago. Oh, praise be to God. Wow. Pretty neat. That is an amazing story, Joe. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. He drove back and forth all across the country listening to the great adventure and then finally concluded, I think I'm called to be a priest. And he was right. He's a very, he's a phenomenal priest. Well, so when really you just kind of want to. We really just kind of want to banter a little bit with you about you, about okay. all the all the great things that you've done. I mean, I think what Phil has well, and you know, I understand where you're coming from, but but um, Phil is just scratching the surface. I think for both Terry myself, along with Phil, I mean, your what you've done has impacted all of us in our families, especially in the Upper Midwest. I mean, I've been through. Lots of your, uh, lots of your programs. I, I've sat in living rooms with folks from the parish going through Matthew. I've I've done the Bible, you know, color coded, which I think is just wonderful, you know, to work with kids and all kinds of other things. So, you've just made a major impact, and we just want to kind of highlight that on our podcast for our international audience. <laughs> yes. Well, you know what? You've got to have a bigger vision than that. If, it, if there's life out in space, we care. I'd call it an intergalactic podcast. There you go. If, if there's no one else's, you might as well claim that for the Lord. You know, we're going to go after life out there. If there is. Amen. Amen. <laughs> the only intergalactic podcast <laughs> in America. <laughs> well said. I, I like I so, like how you're thinking. You want to get official officially started? We'll piece in some of that. But uh, do you want to get officially started, <laughs> Phil? Sure. Okay. Here I thought we were done. Oh. <laughs> no. No, now that's an interesting question. story. No interesting. Question. You're not getting off that. E you're not getting off that easy, Jeff. No, Sorry. it's hard now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> On your most recent episode on the Jeff Caven show, you you started to tease out a little bit about the activated disciple and that follower versus fan of Jesus. And one thing that I think is illuminating, I think for anyone, we'll obviously have a link to the most recent show into your website. You know, how do we kind of how, where is that identity? Where where do we find that identity as a follower versus a fan? Does that is that clear enough? Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, you know, the difference between a fan and a follower is tremendous, very, very big. And all you have to do is do what I did last night. I went to a Minnesota Wild hockey game with my grandson, and we sat right on the glass, right there on the first row. And uh, there was only about, at one point, only about a foot between uh, my grandson and myself and uh, Kaprizov, the star of the Minnesota Wild. Wow. 
but that one foot meant uh, quite a quite a difference. Quite a difference. It meant quite a difference in terms of uh, I don't get nine million a year to play, and uh, it meant a difference in terms of uh, notoriety and exercise and everything else. I was a fan. He was a player. He's on the he's on the ice. He's the one that's actually playing. I came to just to just watch. And there's a certain thrill in watching. But if you really want to be effective, uh, fans don't change the game. Really, it's the players that change it. And so, to be a fan or a follower is a big decision that we have to make. Do I want to be a fan of Christianity? And that is, I I love to go to conferences. I love to listen to TV, watch TV. I love Catholic radio. I you know, all these things. Well, that's good. That's a fan. But a follower is someone who actually enters the story and, and actually follows the Lord on a daily basis and does the same things that the early disciples did in following him. And uh, so there's a there's a major difference there. Uh, you know, one is simply knowing about the faith. The other is living the faith. And I think that uh, if you really want to experience excitement and change and uh, experience the adventure in life, it's in the it's in on the side of the of the of the disciple, the follower of Jesus, not the fan. Amen. I'm just thinking about how do you secure tickets in the front row of a wild game, man? I can't do that. You got to know the right priest. It's, <laughs> pre, it is, right. it's actually it's actually I'm 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 partners with some priests on uh, on uh, these season tickets, and we actually do give them away for fundraisers and things like that. So. Oh, neat, neat. It's not. Uh, it's not what you know. It's who you know, right, Jeff? Exactly. <laughs> you have a really interesting story, you know, in Life on the Rock, and talking about being a rebel and being Protestant and coming back to the Catholic Church. I mean, could you just give us a little snippet about that? My wife read that. I have not read it yet, so I'll be honest on that. But but she thought it was a tremendously in- inspirational book to. Uh, to her and just give us a little snippet of kind of, you know, your kind of your faith journey and how you came back, kind of went away and came back to the Catholic Church. Sure. Well, you know, that it's my story. Everybody has a story for sure. Everybody has one. And I didn't realize I had a story until one day I was sitting in Steubenville and my good friend Scott Hahn said, you know, you got to write a book about this. And I said, well, about what? And he said, about your life, you know, and all where you've been and how the Lord brought you along into the Catholic Church. I said, oh, OK. So I, I did. I ended up writing my life on the rock after my the television show I had on EWTN, which was called Life on the Rock. My bio, autobiography was my life on the rock, you know. So um, it really started. I grew up in the Twin Cities. Uh, I was. Uh, I was uh, confirmed in Bloomington, First Communion in Richfield, and uh, married in Chanhassen. So I grew up in the Catholic Church. I really did it in the Twin Cities, but I really didn't know my faith at all. Uh, I mean that sincerely. I really didn't know my faith at all. I just did everything that the average uh, Catholic boy would do growing up with a family, and that's go to church every week and go to confession a couple times a year. Uh, go to go through CCD and, uh, you know, go to feast day when I wasn't in sports, you know, if my parents were, were going and then we'd pray for meals, bless us, the Lord, and then a Lord's prayer before we went to bed. So that that's about all I knew. I really didn't know anything about the Eucharist or the sacraments or uh, anything like that. 
And so when I was in high school, my senior year, I really started searching and I started doing a lot of reading on Eastern religions, the Bhagavad Gita, Tibetan Book of the Dead, and Eastern meditation and all these things. And I, I ended up I ended up in, in kind of a, in my, my junior and senior year of high school, ended up in stand-up comedy, believe it or not, and a competition. And I went to state championship in stand-up comedy. And so I ended up with scholarships to different schools, and one of them was in California. And my good buddy, who took fourth in the state, <laughs> poor guy, um, he, he ended up, he wanted to go out to California too, and so... He went out there. I stayed back here in the Twin Cities, and I thought, I'm going to get my prereqs done in college first before I go out there. So I went to a college, probably maybe you've heard of it. It's, it's kind of like Harvard. It's um, called Normandale Junior College, and uh, it's in Bloomington. <laughs> and I, uh, I, uh, I went there, and it was in my second semester. I, I ended up as a freshman being editor of the paper, and in my which is funny because I don't know English very well, but I ended up meeting this uh, young lady in my anthropology class and cultural anthropology class. Her name was Emily. She's the one that I'm married to now, and she's the one who, who really introduced to me a personal relationship with the Lord. And I had never heard that before. I had never seen it before. We didn't talk about it like that in our family. But when I got to know her family, I was very impressed, and I wanted what they had. I wanted what they had. It was very genuine. And, uh, and I just was falling in love with Emily at the same time. But she wasn't falling in love with me at the same time. But I was falling in love with her and falling in love with the Lord. And I, to make a long story short, I ended up uh, one evening coming home from her house, and I pulled over on the side of the road in front of Flying Cloud Airport in Eden Prairie. And I just started crying. And I said, Lord, whatever they have, I want that. And the words they used were words like born again and saved. And so I said, I want that. And that night, on the side of the road, something happened to me. And I now know that it was a continuation of my baptismal promises, you know, when I was just a, a few days old. Uh, but I didn't know that. I just thought this was something radically brand new. And so I came home and I, my mom looked at me like, what happened to you tonight? And I thought she was going to be really excited about it when I told her that I had been born again. She said, you what? I said, I got saved tonight, Mom. And she didn't think that was real cool. She said, don't, don't talk like that. She said, you were a Christian when you were baptized. And I said, well, I don't know what happened when I was baptized, but I do know what happened to me tonight. And I knew that night, this is what's interesting, sitting there on the side of the road, with my bell-bottom jeans on, my hair down past my shoulders, bandana, I, I knew, and I don't know why, but I knew that night that I would spend the rest of my life teaching scripture. I knew it. At 18, 18 years old, I knew that. So I just uh, started going to churches with Emily, and they were, they were independent, charismatic churches, kind of a Joel Osteen type of deal. And, uh, and I, I just fell in love with the Lord, and I, I couldn't stop reading the Bible. And that led me to uh, make a decision that I was going to go to Bible college in Dallas, Texas. Still Catholic, but I was going to go to Bible college in Dallas, Texas. So when I told Emily that, suddenly she liked me. 
<laughs> and she realized that this guy loves Jesus more than me. And uh, we ended up actually getting engaged before I went to Bible school in Dallas, Bible college. And so we went down there together and then we came back about halfway through and we got married in Minneapolis. And uh, I started my education in broadcasting, in radio and television. I went to Brown Institute in the Twin Cities for broadcasting. And I ended up working at WCCO in Minneapolis. I was the lucky one. You know, they only give this job to one person. And uh, they, they say that it's the guy that they think is going to be successful, I guess. And I don't know if I ended up being that. But but I took it, took it and I became friends with guys like uh, uh, Steve Cannon, Boone and Erickson, Howard Viking. All these guys were my friends now. Ray Christensen, uh, Hobbs, Hobbs House. And so Steve Cannon and I became very good friends. And he took me uh, under his wing like a father. And we went out and had lunch every Wednesday. And he taught me about broadcasting and radio and podcasting wasn't a thing back then, but, uh, and it was just really great. And then at my first job, I couldn't stay at CCO because I was too young, you know, but I had the job and it was all off air stuff, but I had one week, one week that fell right into my lap. And that's when WCCO went on strike. And I was the only guy working there with a first class license meaning I can run any television or radio station in the country. And I'm like 20 years old, 21 years old. And uh, so I got a call from uh, Phil Lewis, the general manager, and he said, Jeff, we're going on strike. you got to run the place. So I, ca I called Cannon and I called Boone and Erickson and everybody. And I said, what do I do? And they said, do it. You're too young. No, one, no one's going to, you know, blackball you. And uh, so I ended up running WCCO all by myself for a week. <laughs> And uh, it was a letter that Phil Lewis wrote to that first station I worked at in Valley City, North Dakota, that got me the job. And so when I went out there to Valley City, North Dakota, I was still Catholic, but I was going to the Assembly of God Church. This is after Bible college and everything. And I'm, I'm in love with scripture. Well, I became very kind of angry, I guess you could say, with the Catholic Church and more to the point, my parents, and my family who didn't accept this new relationship that I had with the Lord, you know, nobody seemed to accept it. And so I went to what was called an open service with Bishop Driscoll from Fargo, North Dakota. He came to Valley City to St. Catherine's and he was there to answer questions. And I had had it with the Catholic Church at this point. I was so angry. I raised my hand and I just came uncorked. And, uh, gave a little bit of a rant about how there's no room for me in the Catholic Church and the Assembly of God says we can use you. And Catholic Church says this and Assembly of God says we can use you. And now finally I clapped my hands together, I stomped my feet and I screamed with my wife there in the church full at the top of my voice. Uh, from this, I said, I have had it with the Catholic Church. And I stomped my feet, clapped my hands, and I said, from this day forward, I, I put my hand right at the bishop. I yelled out, I am not Catholic. And I got up, and I started to walk out. And as I got to the back door, I heard one person clapping. I turned around, and it was the bishop. And he said, I want to talk to you later. And I said, I don't know. And I, and I left. I left. Well, my, my practice, that my tradition back then was every morning I went out to the convent, I rode my motorcycle out there every morning and went to mass and went and prayed for the, with the nuns out there. They were charismatic. 
And they told the bishop that night, stay in town here. Don't go back to, to Fargo. He comes out every morning. We don't know what got into him. And so I went out, I went out there that next morning to tell the nuns why I'm not Catholic anymore. And I, I knocked on the door and guess who answered it? It was the bishop. And he, I, I just felt like I was going to pass out. <laughs> and he says, he said, he said, come on, come on in, come on in. I went in there and he said, I want to hear your story. What's going on? And I told him, well, I told him how I'd given my life to God, but there's no room in the Catholic church for me. And these other groups are on fire. They read the Bible. They share Christ with people. They really worship the Lord. They open up their homes, you know, all that. And he looked at me and he said, I'm going to tell you three things. Number one, the journey you're on is of God. And I went, wow, finally, somebody thinks something happened to me, you know. He said, number two, I'm going to call you Little Newman. I never heard that before. I didn't know who Newman was. All I could think of was Al Newman from Mad Magazine. And I thought, oh, he's saying I'm a joker, you know, or something like that. And he said, I said, I, I, I don't understand what, what you're saying. He said, he said, Cardinal Newman, you remind me of Cardinal Newman, your zeal for scripture, whatever, whoever that is. And then he said, number three, and he pointed right at me. He said, you mark my words. One day you're going to return to the church. And when you do, you're going to teach your people. And I looked at him and I said, I don't think so. And I got up, shook his hand, walked out. That's how I left the Catholic Church. Much to my parents' dismay. And uh, I ended up going back to, I went into broadcasting in um, Pella, Iowa, Christian broadcasting this time. And then I ended up uh, going back to school and I was ordained a Protestant pastor. And so I, I was a senior, I was an associate for a couple years. And then I was a senior pastor for 12 years, seven in Bloomington, Minnesota, five in Dayton, Ohio. And it was all while I was in Dayton, that's when I began to seriously study uh, the sacraments and the early church fathers. And that's what led me back into the Catholic Church. Kind of a long story to get there. Wow, just amazing, Jeff. Um, yes. So, what would you say in all of that journey um, was like your biggest aha moment, like, you know, sledgehammer over the head kind of moment? Mm -hmm. Well, for 10 years, when I was a Protestant pastor, I, I had the, the, the fortune of studying with some of the greatest minds and professors at Hebrew University in Jerusalem and Austin, Texas, and uh, around in um, uh, Massachusetts, Boston area. And so I, I had been blessed with a tremendous background on Jesus and not only not only what Jesus said, but how he said it, his methodology, his the way he taught. So I was very interested uh, early on in the Jewish roots of Christianity and where it all began. And so I'd have to give credit to, to them for giving me the foundation upon which I would discover the Catholic Church. It was really the Jewish roots because the, the changing point for me was when I started to study the early church fathers, the first 400 years of, uh, of Christians and the leaders like Augustine, Jerome, um, Athanasius and others, you know, they, they, they described a church 
that didn't look anything like the church that I was a pastor of. And that brought on a crisis of faith. If, if I, I fancy myself as a New Testament church, you know, we got the Bible and we're doing it just the way the Bible says, yet that New Testament church looked not just a little bit different, but a lot different than anything that I was experiencing. There were common denominators in that early church that I did, I couldn't even check one of those off. You know, the, the papacy was there. Uh, and, I, and by the way, I also, because of my biblical background, I understood the, I understood the, the biblical foundations for that, you know, in uh, Isaiah. And um, I knew that, but I never put the two and two, two together and came up with modern day papacy. But, so the more I studied there, I, it was the papacy, it was the Blessed Mother, as the mother, the queen. Uh, I knew that from the Old Testament. I knew there was a queen, but it wasn't in the new. <laughs> At least I didn't see. And then there was the Eucharist, was the big one, the Eucharist. And then, uh, and then the, the, and then the fourth one was the concept of the Word of God being Scripture and tradition. So those four things that were were present in the early church were vacant in my church and so i had to answer the question why do i look so different than the early church if i want to be part of that early church i want to tie to the early church how come my church doesn't seem to have any foundation that is similar to that so that was the crisis of faith and that led me into deeper and deeper study until one day I'd, I read this book. I was just ready to be ordained to a new denomination, the one that I was in, and I was going to be part of the Episcopalian um, Episcopal Church. And I was going to be a priest in the Episcopal Church because they had the liturgy and all the things I was studying. And so I went there to Kansas City to be interviewed by the bishop. And after one of their, their masses, they have uh, their services there was a book table out out in the the foyer and on that book table was a book by thomas howard called evangelical is not enough i still have that in my library well i bought it and i thought this is going to be fantastic thinking he's part of this new this this group you know so i bought it and i read it and i just thought this thing is incredible this guy is just spot on with what i'm going through i love it and then I got to the very last page and he said that I wrote this book in 19, whatever it was, 80 something. And then, at, and then underneath that, he said, and I converted to the Catholic church in, he gave the date and I went, no, what? I thought he was Anglican. I thought he was Anglican. And the Anglican church is what I meant to say earlier that that's what I was going after. I was gonna become a priest in the Anglican church. And this really bothered me. So I got his phone number and called him up in uh, outside of Austin. I called him up and he answered the phone. And I said, uh, Tom, I said, Jeff Cavins here. I'm a pastor in Dayton, Ohio. I read your book, loved it until I came to that last line. What happened? How did you become Catholic? And he told me. And it was everything I was going through. And I told him, I said, I'm going through the same thing. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I remember just leave my job and just go back and be Catholic and I don't know what I'm going to do. He said, well, you should talk to two guys that just went through this too. One is Marcus Grodi and the other is Scott Hahn. I wrote their names down. I never heard of them before. And, uh, and I think about a month or so went by and I continued my studies 
went into a Catholic bookstore incognito, literally, because I didn't want anyone noticing that the local pastor was in a Catholic bookstore where, where God forbid, statues were, <laughs> you know? So yes. I, I, I was scared going in there. I thought, what if somebody saw me? You know, it's like, you know, back in the 60s, becoming a communist or something. So I, um, I studied more, and then I, I called Marcus Grodi, this guy. And we, we hit it off talking and he said, he said, just gave me some advice. He said, you ought to talk to your childhood pastor. Who, who is your, who's the priest that you grew up with? And I said, well, he's not a priest anymore. He's a bishop. I said, I don't do too well with bishops. Uh, <laughs> <screaming> <laughs> <them>. <laughs> and uh, he said, who's that? I said, Bishop Paul Dudley. I think he's in Sioux Falls or something. Now he goes, Bishop Dudley, he's amazing. You got to talk to him. So about a day or so later, I think it was, or a week later, you know, I don't know, I don't know how, I don't know how you become Catholic. I don't know what it's like to be a Catholic, really, you know, growing up. So right. I thought, well, I'm just going to call the Sioux Falls Diocese and ask to talk to him. So I called him up, and the lady answers the Diocese of Sioux Falls, and I said, yeah, is Bishop Dudley there? <laughs> she was, who's calling? I said, Jeff, Jeff Cavins. She says, just a minute. He comes back on the phone. He comes on the phone. Says Bishop Dudley. So Bishop Dudley, Jeff Cavins. Jeff Cavins. He said, Was your father Robert? I said, Yes, he was. He said, How are you doing? And I said, Well, pretty good. I said, I'm a Protestant minister now. He said, You are. How did that happen? <laughs> and I explained to him what happened in my life and I told him what was going on and the questions I had. And he said, Can you come out here and spend a couple of days with me? flew out there and I spent some time with him and his, his coadjutor, that is the bishop who's going to take his place when he retires, was uh, Bishop Robert Carlson, who ended up in St. Louis. And I spent about two, two and a half days there talking to both of them about all my questions. And I knew after being there that God was indeed calling me back to the church. So I went back to Dayton, Ohio, and I met with my elders, and I told them what was happening in my life, and that I was going to have to resign as their pastor. And they were shocked. I was like, whoa, I cannot believe our pastor is going to become Catholic. So I ended up leaving there, and, it went, and uh, Bishop Dudley told me he wanted me to go to Steubenville with Father Michael Scanlon. And so I ended up going there, and uh, little did I know, they worked it out where I got a full scholarship, thanks to wow. Bishop Dudley. And so I did my graduate work there. And at the same time, I taught undergrad, <laughs> taught scripture. I taught the great adventure. And so I was there for uh, two or three years. And then uh, I got a call from Mother Angelica on EWTN that she wanted me to come on her show to tell my story. What? So I said, oh, that's pretty cool. Wow. So I flew down, I flew down to uh, EWTN and I did her <laughs> live show with her. And she, we just hit it off. I mean, we really hit it off. She was laughing her head off and just having a great time. And in the middle of the show, she says, honey, would you pray about doing like a 13-week show for us? You know, she said, they need to hear what you're doing. And so I said, you want me to pray about it? She goes, yeah. So I shut my eyes and then opened them up and I said, yes. <laughs> she goes, ah, she laughed. And, um, and then we came off the set that day, on that evening, rather, she grabbed me by the arm and she pulled me off to the side, away from the crowd. And she looked at me and she said, I want you to pray about moving here. 
and starting your own live show on Thursday night. She said, I've been asking the Lord who's, who should start that show. And tonight the Lord told me you're the one. And I just went, whoa. Wow. I now, that's not a ringing that, endorsement. <laughs> well, the ringing endorsement actually comes six months later. <laughs> the ringing endorsement is that I did move down there, my wife and I and her daughter. And uh, I started life on the rock. And six months later, her mother calls me into her office, which typically is not good. When she wants to talk to you, it's usually to correct something. <laughs> and so uh, I went down to her office and I was nervous. You know, I thought, I moved everything here. I'm, she's probably going to fire me. And so I'm sitting in there and she comes in and I said, so what's going on? And she said, well, I'll tell you. And she said, uh, you know, and I'm not feeling well. I don't, not, I don't want to do my show. She has two live shows on Wednesday and Tuesday and Wednesday. One of them is just her talking for an hour. The other one, she interviews people. She said, uh, when I can't do the show, I'm not feeling like it. She said, would you, would you be my substitute for my shows or come on with me just to do it together? And I'm like, <laughs> I can't believe it. And I said, I'd be honored to. Wow. Whew. That's amazing. And I asked her, I said, why me? Of all the people in the world, why me? And she said, well, I'll tell you. And she said, I know you're thoroughly Catholic, but you sound like a Protestant. That was the answer. <laughs> she liked it. She liked the way it sounded. She said, I know you're Catholic, but I like the way you communicate. It's, it's real communication. It's not flowery. And I talk about Jesus and not how blessed or, you know. So... I just talk about Jesus, and she liked that a lot. So I ended up being her substitute for about six years. And I did, if she wasn't feeling good, I did the show with her and I let it. If she wasn't feeling good at all, I did a show without her. And she called me up like an hour before the show, which wasn't the best arrangement because there are some times where I was mowing my lawn, I'm a mile away from the studio. I was mowing my lawn, and I got Emily yells out, Mother called, you're doing the show tonight. And it's the show where you got to talk for an hour with no commercials about an engaging topic. And I'm 40 minutes from going on. I'm mowing the lawn. I'm sweaty. So I go in. I think you can do it. (laughs) Well, I think the Lord did it because I'm in the shower. You know, I'm in the shower as fast as I can thinking, what am I going to talk about? What am I going to talk about? What am I going to talk about for an hour all over the world? And so I get dressed and everything, put my tie on. I go up there and I'm getting, you know, getting makeup on. I sit there, they're doing my makeup, and I don't have any idea what I'm going to talk about yet. There's a crowd waiting out there, much, you know, and plus, not to mention the gazillions of people on television. And so I'd go sit up there, and the minute I walk into the room was really funny because when Mother walks into the room, there's this uh, gasp of like, oh, there she is. You know, everyone's all excited about Mother Angelica. Well, if I walk in there, that means that she's not going to be here, and you hear this <laughs> that's the way I was greeted when she wasn't there. So I'd go up and sit on her set and we're on her chair and they'd say two minutes to live. And I'm just thinking about what I'm going to talk about. I'd say, Lord, you got to help me here. And we get down to 30 seconds, 10, nine, it goes down three, two, live. And I, there I am. Hey, I'm Jeff Cavins filling in for Mother Angelica today. And the Lord just gave me the words. This wow. gave me the theme and the words and the points just like that. And it ne- I, I did her show so many times, and the Lord never 
left me up there with nothing to say. Never. It just, I can't explain it other than God said, uh, you know, in that day, don't worry about what you're going to say for all. I'll, I'll give you the words. And right. I can, I can testify Amazing. to that. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I, you know, there is, I got to say, Jeff, though, there, I'm going to backtrack here on you just a little bit. There is one thing I knew I really liked about you. As a former radio guy myself, we are of kindred spirits. And when you talk about uh, first class FCC license, I tip my hat to you because that is, uh, that's, that's, that's not an easy thing to get because I remember doing the study for it back in the day. So, oh, you did. Did you get your, yes. which one? Yeah, you got your first? No, I never got my first, uh, only because I, I just couldn't hack the, uh, hack, get, getting through the test. I always, oh, it's, a, it's a year of constant study. It's really yeah. hard. Yeah. I, I was so nervous when I had, I had the index cards, probably 3000 index cards because they can give you questions on the test, any question they want and you gotta be ready for it. And it's all diodes and transistors and uh, tubes. And so all the old technology you got to know. Yep. And uh, yep. when I got in there, I was so nervous. And then you, then when you're done, you go up to the table and you have to stand there while they grade it. Oh, wow. And they pass or fail. And I'm up there and I have put a year of multiple, multiple hours a day studying for this thing. The second was the hard one. First was actually easy, but the, the second was the hard one. And I remember them looking up and going, pass, next. It's like, next? Can I stand here and enjoy this for a minute? What do you mean? Let me celebrate. <laughs> I just passed. My... <laughs> and I, go, I remember say, saying to my, my wife, I said, I have never been more relieved in my life. You know? <laughs> yeah. And then about a year later, they canceled the whole thing in general. It's a general license now. Yeah. So all that work I put in, you can go and get a general license now. It's not as important. No, no. But you can say that, you know, and maybe that was kind of the first step on your path of evangelization where you kind of adapted the skills that of that, you know, stay steady the course, stay with it, and, you know, you will be rewarded. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, sometimes people ask about the you know, uh, success of like Bible in a Year with Father Mike and myself and things like you know, some of those programs. And my, my answer to that is that I've only done one thing most of my life, you know, since I was 18 years old, whether it was television, radio, podcasting, Bible teaching series, going to Israel. Uh, it's all the same thing. You know, it's all Jesus and his kingdom in scripture. And so that's all I've done my whole life. That's it, is, is different, different manifestations of it. But my life has been the Bible. You know, I've got, I've got uh, right behind me here, I have, I have the, uh, the very Bible that my mother-in-law opened up while I was 18 years old, long hair, opened this up. And began to teach me about Jesus and the fact that he had a plan for my life. And uh, she died two years ago, and I, I have her Bible right here. It's this well-worn Bible. Well-loved, well well-prayed over beautiful yeah. scripture. Yeah, my, my grandpa's Bible's up there, too, behind me in my wow. office. And so 
that's all I've done my life. Uh, and that, that's all, if that's right. all you, if all you did with your life was, um, plumbing, you'd be a pretty good plumber, I guess. You know, if all you did right. for your life was to change tires, you probably would, uh, be known among your friends as a pretty good tire changer, you know? And for me, I'm not doing much different than I was when I was 25. And I created the Bible timeline when I was 25, the whole thing in 48 hours, I created that timeline chart. And I didn't realize that uh, the rest of my life would be around that. I had no idea. I just was doing what I loved and what I was passionate about. And I just uh, never, I've never stopped. And so, you know, it's been, uh, it's been 44 years of doing that. But it's so your you faith. Do, do the math. I'm 46. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We, <laughs> I looked on Wikipedia, so I know how old you are. By the way, you're the first uh, guest we ever had that, that has a Wikipedia page and uh, name dropped Mother Angelica in the same ep episode. So just so we're. Oh, I shouldn't name drop like I shouldn't name drop like that. You know, I got to be honest with you. Know, uh, Pope Benedict told me not to do that. So. But oh, nice. It, cer <laughs> it certainly is. Uh, it certainly is divine inspiration for you to come to us today because I think <laughs> your knowing your faith journey is what informs the type of. Uh, seminars you give, the type of talks you give, the type of stories you tell, the type of products that you produce. And I think that's what informs that and makes them so good uh, for us out here in the Catholic community to uh, consume and be inspired by. I, I know that my family has been as long as, as well as these other two brothers. I mean, interestingly, besides Terry's experience in radio, I've had just a small bit in radio, but um, I spent a year at Valley City State University, Valley City. North really? Dakota. Yes. What What year was that? Uh, 80, 85, 86. Wow. 85. I was, uh, that's the year I created the Bible timeline. I was in Bloomington. I've been a pastor for two years. At that right. Point. So there's not a lot but, of people uh, that Valley know City, a lot about. My wife went yeah. to Valley City. She was in the art department. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was uh, recruited there to play sports, and but only spent a year there for a bunch of reasons, injuries and some other reasons, but uh, very familiar with the Valley City area and the folks there, the wonderful folks yeah. there. So they yeah, are, aren't they wonderful? Yeah, it's just an interesting link. And I think Phil and I also bring uh, interesting uh, faith backgrounds you know, to, to the table as well. And I think that's what helps us with strange Catholics. So Terry's a cradle Catholic. So, uh, you know, I think your, your message really speaks to us quite a bit and we see a lot and hear a lot in our own stories in your story as well. Well, I'm a Minnesota guy, you know, this is home and, uh, can anything good come out of Minnesota? That, that was the Bible, but, um, <laughs> you know, this, it, it, it's kind of funny because, you know, I uh, I just uh, I was just an average Catholic boy growing up, and if you look back, I did a podcast on this, and I think it was called something like the Ten People Who Changed My Life" or something like that. As I look back, I can see key relationships that uh, that I have to give a lot of credit to. Mother is one of them. Mother Angelica is obviously one of them. Nobody knows who I was without EWTN and that, the beginnings of that, that launched me onto a world platform stage that I, you just 
you just can't do that. So if I look back at the people who had a played an important role in my life, I am so thankful. I'm indebted to so many people, really, that, that played a big role, like my mother-in-law, you know, and uh, Scott Hahn and uh, Mother Angelica and others. That and and there was one man. His name was I don't know where he is anymore. He was a Protestant. His name was Bill Thompson. He had two grad. He did two graduate degrees in languages in uh, theology. And I got to give credit to him because I when I was in Pella, Iowa, I was in radio in Pella, and I never even thought about teaching myself. I just knew that I was in love with scripture. And I thought, well, radio is the way I'm going to do this. I'm going to talk about scripture on radio the rest of my life. And uh, I, uh, there was at the hotel in Pella, the Dutch Mill Hotel, the person that led the Bible study there was gone or sick or something. And they asked me, would you fill in for him for like a month or four lessons or whatever? And I got nervous. He's like, oh, okay. And I was really comfortable behind the microphone. And that's all I wanted to do was radio and to be behind the microphone. From the time I was a little boy, my dad dropped me off at radio stations. I begged him, please drop me off at WDGY radio. I want to see True Don Blue or I want to see the Catman or on the radio. I want, and for some reason, they let this 14-year-old kid in to watch him. And I went to the state fair and I sat right in front of WCCO's booth the entire time, just watching. I wanted to be in radio. That I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to be in front of people. I wanted to be hidden. That's really what my goal was to do what kind of we're doing now, to talk and not necessarily people are looking at you. I didn't like that at all. So anyway, this guy, Bill, really liked my teaching. And we went on a picnic down at the Red Rock Dam outside of Pella, Iowa. And we were walking along the rocks, and he comes over to me. He's probably 10 years older than me, 15 years older than me. He says, Jeff. I said, yeah. He said, uh, you ever thought about teaching scripture or being a pastor? I said, no. No? Why? He said, you got a gift. He said, you're really good at this. you got a gift at it. Thanks. And I walked away. But what he said that day, I couldn't shake. I could not shake that. It just kept reverberating in my mind. You have a gift. You have a gift. And uh, so I, that was when I went back to school in Florida. And I was, after that, ordained a Protestant pastor. But I would have to say, Bill, wherever, you, wherever you're at today, you played one of the most decisive roles in my entire life, and you don't know it. You know? And that's wow. something we can all learn from. You know, who knows what, what, what the impact we're having on other people. We may not ever see them again, but it might be something you did or said that they, they're going to actually hang on that. You know, a compliment. Yeah. Praise God. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Remember, this is part of the Strange Catholics Lenten interview series. That was a great interview that we had with Jeff Cabins. <laughs> this was just part one. Remember to come back next week for part two of the interview. I, I mean, I, I stand corrected. I mean, they delivered. I, 
I don't know why Jeff Cabins wants to spend time with us, but you know, because we're so strange. We're the strange. Love strange Catholics, right? He likes because he said himself he's a strange Catholic, so he likes hanging with strange Catholics. Yeah, this is this is absolutely worth watching on YouTube and listening to on the podcast. And please send your comments back to us. We would love to have them. And check out our second uh, podcast with Jeff Cavins. And until then, love you, brothers. Love you, brothers. Love you, brothers.